study now. Let's just take a moment to ask for God to bless us as we read God's word and see what he has for us today. Lord, I, I pray that you'll speak to us now by the ministry of your spirit that we will be uh, looking at today, seeing what your word tells us about the Holy Spirit. And I ask that you would uh, work mightily in our minds, send your mighty angels to be here. I pray that you will hold back the forces that are dark and sinister, keep them from this place and from our minds, and guide and direct us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so I'm going to ask you a story. Just This is a funny story, but bear with me, okay? Let's suppose that you grew up in isolation on a desert island with nothing to read but the Bible. So that's the scenario. Nothing to read but the Bible, you alone on that desert island. And then imagine, after 20 years, you are rescued and you come to attend. Remember, you've had 20 years to read the Bible and you, you're rescued, you come, and the first thing you do is you come and attend Village Church. Okay? Now, it could be Village Church or any Christian church for that matter. It doesn't really matter, but, but chances are, if you were here after 20 years reading the Bible all by yourself on a desert island, you would be shocked. You'd be shocked. Now, why? Well, there, there are probably a whole lot of reasons why you would be shocked. But in particular, I think you'd be stunned by the apparent absence of the church, of the Spirit in the church, of the Holy Spirit being manifest in any particular way among us. I think you would be shocked by that. Now, we're at fundamental number five in our series about the Holy Spirit, and we're journeying through the core teachings of Scripture. And this is a long journey. It's going to take us most of this year to complete, but it's an ex important excursion, I believe, because as we examine the key issues of the narrative of Scripture, we're going to be blessed, we're going to be enriched, we're going to be inspired and deepened as we connect our lives with these important truths that God gives us. So, maybe you're wondering about the title, Nuts. <laughs> what, what is that about? So, full confession, full confession. I owe my acronym, the title, to my good friend, Bible scholar, at College Place High School physics calculus math teacher and esteemed member of the men's Bible study on Wednesday night right here in the youth room, Gordon Smith, who constantly rocks my mind with great thoughts from God's Word. And at our study, just this last week, Gordon said, the Holy Spirit is nuts. Well, sort of like that. I'm not sure exactly how he, he said it. But NUTS is an acronym that he gave us regarding the Holy Spirit. And he said, never underestimate the Spirit. That's what it means. There should be a slide. It should be coming. There it is. Never underestimate the Spirit. That's what NUTS means. And that's what we're going to be talking about today in our study. Never underestimate the Spirit. Now, unfortunately, we've underestimated the Spirit. That's what we've done. We're guilty of that. And we'll find that uh, we have done that, unfortunately. The Seventh-day Adventist Church, as you know, has no creed. We have nothing that 
uh, that we have stated as in creedal form because we believe that truth is progressive. We believe that we should be, as a church and as individuals, ever-growing, ever-learning in our understanding of God. And this is certainly the truth for this study that we'll have today on the Holy Spirit. Here's the distilling of the Bible truth in our fundamental belief. We'll just read it together. It says, God the eternal Spirit was active with the Father and the Son in creation, incarnation, and redemption. He is as much a person as are the Father and the Son. He inspired the writers of the Bible. He filled Christ's life with power. He draws and convicts human beings. And those who respond, he renews and transforms into the image of God. Sent by the Father and the Son to be always with his children, he extends spiritual gifts to the church, empowers it to bear witness to Christ, and in harmony with the Scripture, leads it into all truth. Boy, that's a lot, isn't it? That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's why we should say, nuts! <laughs> Never underestimate the Spirit. As I said, though, unfortunately, that's exactly what we've done. That's exactly what we've done. We've not just underestimated the Spirit. He's all but missing in our lives and in our church. Let me give you proof. Let me give you proof. So, you may be wondering, what, what am I talking about? Well, on that deserted island, you've been studying the Bible for 20 years. And you've been convinced that from Scripture... The Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to our Christian experience. It's as essential to our Christian experiences is as air is to our life, our, our physical life, staying alive. And just we're just gonna we're gonna run here through a lot of scriptures. So hold on and take some notes if you want to, but we're gonna go through a lot of scriptures just to see, because this is what you learned for 20 years on the island about, about the Holy Spirit. You came in some of the first words of the Bible that you read, you, you discovered that indeed the Holy Spirit is co-creator. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then when it says humanity was formed in verse number 26, it says, let us make man in our image. The Holy Spirit involved. Then the book of Job says, the Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. So Holy Spirit is creator. Holy Spirit is life giver. Speaking of God, the psalmist said in Psalm 104 verse 30, when you send your spirit, they are created. Just take that in. The Spirit of God, who is eternal, part of the Trinity, he brings things into existence from nothing. He brings order from chaos. He maintains order in the universe. That is the work of the Spirit. Now on that island, as you studied, you know, about the, through the Bible, the Old Testament alone taught you so much about this. A lot of times we think the Old Testament doesn't have much to say about the Spirit. Oh, it does. It does so much. The Spirit is the active agent in creation. The Spirit is also the active agent in recreation, restoring. Everything was good from the hand of God. Everything that God made was good. But into that beauty came the ugliness of sin. 
And God's recreating, restoring power was the Spirit of God. Notice what it says in Isaiah chapter 32, 14 and 15. The fortress will be, will be abandoned. The noisy city deserted. Citadel and watchtower will become a wasteland forever. The delight of donkeys, a pasture of flocks. Till the Spirit is poured out on us from on high. And the desert becomes a fertile field. And the fertile field seems like a force. You see the story, the Spirit recreates. The power of the Spirit is what what brought creation into being and into order. And the Spirit of God is the recreating, restoring power from chaos of sin and the chaos of human disobedience. That is the work of the Spirit of God, both in the world and in our individual lives. That's what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God, for example, in the Old Testament still, came on Saul, who was anointed the first king of Israel. And as the Spirit of God came on him, he began to speak in prophetic words. And he was recreated, it says in Scripture, into a, a new man. Look at 1 Samuel 10, verse 6. It says, The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. That is the Spirit of God's work. As a great power, the Spirit in creation Still greater power is the work of recreation by God's Spirit in our lives, in every man and woman, boy and girl, in whom the Spirit of God lives. When Pharaoh entrusted the leadership of his kingdom to a man named Joseph, he said this, Pharaoh said this, Exodus 41, 38, can we find anyone like this man one in whom is the, what? Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God that brings about change in a person's life, that restores and creates life. Then you remember when 70 elders are chosen to assist Moses. Moses is worn out. His father-in-law tells him, choose some others to help you. It says that they were fitted and they were equipped for office by the Spirit of God being placed on them. We won't, there's not a uh, scripture for that on the screen, but you can write down Numbers 27, verse number 18. And then, and then again, when the aggressive Midianites were terrorizing Israel, it was the Spirit of God that came on Gideon and gave him victory over the Midianites. And then when David was anointed by Samuel, the priest, the Spirit of the Lord, it says, came on him from that day forward. That's 1 Samuel 16, 13. And then when the, when the tabernacle was crafted in the wilderness and it was being made as beautiful as possible, God spirited a, an individual for that work. Notice this, Exodus 31, verse 3. I have given him... I've filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kind of skills. And that is the man that was then commissioned to make all the articles of the furniture and all the beautiful things in the tabernacle by God's Spirit, by His gifting, by His power. The Spirit of God in the midst of and living in us is what gives us gifts. Men and women are gifted in mind and heart in 
brain and eye or hand. This is all the gifting of God's Spirit. That's what He does. When God has some great task to be accomplished, He gives a man or woman His Spirit to accomplish that task. It's the presence and power of the Spirit that accomplishes that. That's what we learned from the Old Testament story and much more. I mean, we're just briefly going over this, but still on a desert island, okay? You're still there, okay? 20 years you've been studying the Bible. And then you look into the New Testament and you see that the references to the Spirit are multiplied there. Much more there than in the Old Testament. In fact, every part of Jesus' life um, is intimately connected with the Spirit of God. Every part of his life. It was the Spirit that gave Jesus life. It was the Spirit that brought Jesus into this world and made him uh, in, in the world of space and time. You can look at Luke 1.35 and Matthew 1.18 for that. It was by the Spirit that Jesus was equipped for his work in this world. At his baptism, you know what happened. The Spirit of God descended on him and he was given a fullness of power. That's Matthew 3.16. And Luke tells us that he was full of the Spirit. That's Jesus. Luke 4 verse 1. What the prophets and all the great men of God in the Old Testament, all the great men and women of God in the Old Testament received for just a time and, and for a season, Jesus has forever as a special equipping for his ministry. And it's the equipping of the Spirit of God that comes on him. The Spirit guides him. The Spirit directs him. The Spirit empowers him in his life and his actions. The Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. It's the Spirit of God that leads him out of that wilderness victorious by the Spirit. That's Luke 4 verses 1 and 14. And talking about Jesus, John the Baptist said, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's what John said about Jesus. And that phrase he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Um, <clears throat> I, I mean, it's, sorry, with the Holy Spirit. That can also mean in the Holy Spirit. So just taking that and expanding it a little bit. To baptize means to dip or to like dipping clothes in some dye to, to color them. And this picture, I think, is powerful for us as we think about it. The Christian, the believer is a man or a woman who is dipped in the Spirit. Think of that, okay? He's dipped, she's dipped in the Spirit. A Christian is a person whose whole life is Spirit of God soaked. That's what it means. His whole life, her whole life is Spirit of God soaked. A Christian is a Spirit anointed. A Christian is a Spirit dipped. A Christian is a spirit-saturated. A Christian is a spirit-dominated person. That's what a Christian is. The spirit is the essence of all the good gifts that God gives to his children. It's through the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 11, verse 13 says, If you then, know, though you are evil, know how to get good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the... He wants to give you the best gift. I mean, he says good gifts, and then he says one, and that's the Holy Spirit, because that's the best. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need. Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is God's best gift. It's his supreme gift that he gives 
us, his children. Now, on that island, you're still there, okay? You're still learning, okay? About the Holy Spirit as you read through the Bible. For 20 years, you've been reading. And you learn that the Holy Spirit is our ally. He's our ally at every time of need. When your life is in danger, when you're challenged, when you're some kind of peril, the Holy Spirit is there. You don't need to be anxious. Luke chapter 12 and verse 12, for the Holy Spirit will teach you what at that time what to say. You don't need to be anxious. The Spirit and truth you learn on that island are intimately connected. They go with one another. In fact, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit in John 14 and verse 17 the Spirit of truth. It says in verse 13 in chapter 16 of John, it says, He will guide you into all truth. So we learn, you learn on that desert island that, that the, with the Holy Spirit's truth, you can know truth. But without the Holy Spirit, you can't know all the truth, the whole truth. We can discover fragments, we can discover parts, little bits of truth, but the Spirit of God is what brings us the fullness of truth. He is a giver of truth. That's what the Spirit is. He is the one who enables us to recognize truth when we see it. That's the Spirit of God. Now on that island, you also learn some deep and precious truths about the Holy Spirit. And you come to know Him as your advocate. John chapter 14, verse 16. An advocate who comes alongside you, who is given to you to, to help you and to be with you forever. You learn that on that island. It's the Holy Spirit who is your advocate. He's, he's your friend that you, as you face the judgment and, and of God, he's your, he's your comforter. He helps you in times of sorrow. He, he helps you when you struggle with, with burdens and, and issues of life. He's your helper. He, he's, he's making... He makes the coward brave. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's counselor. He gives wise help. He gives powerful help in difficult decisions of life. The Holy Spirit is the gift God gave us in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. He said in John 14, verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Now notice this. The Holy Spirit is not an achievement. Okay? The Holy Spirit is not earned. The Holy Spirit is a gift. A gift God gives us. The gift of the abiding presence of Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is. But although He's a gift, His coming into your heart and mind is not unconditional. Now what do I mean by that? Well, the Holy Spirit won't force himself on you. You see the Holy Spirit, God, is not obnoxious like I am sometimes. Okay? The Holy Spirit is not obnoxious. The Holy Spirit is never demanding. The Holy Spirit is always courteous. And so his coming is conditional. You have to want him. You have to ask him. You have to seek him. And if you want him and his ways, you must wait 
on him. You must seek for him. But if you'll do that, even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of doubt, even in the midst of your failure, if you will do that, if there is a longing in your heart, a desire even in the midst of sin, the Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit is there. The Spirit comes. Now, you're still on the island, okay? You're still learning, okay? You're still growing. You're still reading the story. And you go from the story of Jesus and the Spirit, and you go into the story of the early church and the Spirit. The early church, the book of Acts. And as you read the book of Acts, you think, this book shouldn't be called the Acts of the Apostles. This, should, this book should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. That's what it should really be, because that's really who's doing it. That's the power behind it. You realize that this book would, I mean, it would better be labeled the Acts of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus left earth and ascended to heaven, this is what he promised. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, is the principal actor, planting, growing, developing, gifting the Holy Spirit. I mean, the, the early church. The Holy Spirit was the one who gave the disciples boldness. Boldness to proclaim the message of the risen Christ. You can see that in Acts chapter 13. Thousands came to him to know Jesus as Savior when Peter preached and they became part of the church. And the Holy Spirit gave believers insight. The Holy Spirit gave believers wisdom into the scriptures to understand them in ways they had never understood them before. It was the Spirit of God that did that. And he gave them the power to communicate that. Every decision the church made, the early church made, was by the help and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Every decision it made. Philip is told to go approach that Ethiopian eunuch by the Spirit of God. Peter is told to go with Cornelius to his house by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God guides and directs and, and instructs the decisions of that earliest council of the church that happened as they talked about what do we do with these Gentile believers. It was the Spirit of God that directs the decision that, that comes to them as they meet together in Jerusalem. The Spirit of God made the church a missionary church. The Spirit of God is the one that broke the Jewish exclusiveness and gave gifts to everyone. It's the Spirit of God that gave gifts to the poor, to the rich, to the men, to women, to Jew, to Gentile, to young, to old. The Spirit of God gifted. And on that island, <laughs> you're still there. But you learn more. You learn that the Holy Spirit is always connected with prayer. Always. Always connected. When the church prayed, the place was shaken. When the church prayed, it was filled with the Holy Spirit, with tongues of fire. 
And the Holy Spirit, you learned, prays with us and prays for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Isn't that beautiful? We don't know what to pray. We don't know how to approach, but the Spirit of God is doing that. I may not know what to pray. I may not know what to do. But the Holy Spirit knows our hearts. The Holy Spirit knows God. He is God. And as we listen to Him and follow His promptings, we are led, we are blessed, we are encouraged. Did you know? You learn this on the island that you're actually a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. Imagine that. Imagine it. You're not just a person living by human power. You're not just a person living by human will. The Spirit of God lives in you blesses you, strengthens you. And then, and then, and then, after 20 years on that island, studying the Bible all by yourself, living and learning the amazing things about the Spirit of God and the fact that you are a temple of God and, and, and you're rescued by God, and all of a sudden you come, and the first thing, your first thing, you come to Village Church after 20 years by yourself learning all about the Spirit of God and you attend. And that, it doesn't have to be village church. It can be any church for that matter. And chances are, you'd be shocked. You'd be just plain shocked. And I said, as I said, it's for a lot of reasons, but in particular, I think you'd be shocked because of the huge gap you see between what you read in Scripture for 20 years about the Holy Spirit and how most people and how the church operates, you'd be shocked. you say, where's the Spirit? Where's the Spirit? Something is not wrong. Someone is missing. Someone is missing. Not something. It's someone. The Holy Spirit. And if I were Satan, okay, I'm glad. I'm, just to let you, some of you may think I am inspired sometimes that way, but I am not. But if I were Satan, my ultimate goal, my ultimate goal would be to nullify and defeat God's purposes, and I would do it I would get churchgoers, I would get God's people to ignore the Holy Spirit. That's what I'd do. I'd get them to ignore it. And I'd, and I'd get them to accomplish things, but only human-sized things. Only things that money and human power and can do. That's, that's what I'd do. I'd get them to do that. Only things that are human-sized results. That's what I do. You know what? The world is not moved 
by human-sized results. The world is not moved by human-sized love or action. The world is looking for evidence of something supernatural. Something supernatural. Something like forgiveness being extended. Reconciliation happening. Habitual sins being overcome. Relationships being restored. Love prevailing. That's, that's what the world is looking for. The Holy Spirit is absolutely vital to us today. If the Holy Spirit moves, nothing can stop Him. If He does not move, nothing much is going to happen. No matter how much effort or how much money we put into it, nothing much will happen. I have to say, I'm not. And I'm sure you would say, we are not all that we were made to be. Our church, in our church, everything in our lives, everything in our church, I, I, I hate to say it, but it can pretty much be explained by money, programming, and hard work. You don't need the Holy Spirit if your goal is to live just a semi-moral life and attend church. You don't need the Holy Spirit for that. You don't need it. You only need the Holy Spirit if you decided that you're going to obey everything. <laughs> if you're going to obey everything, everything that Jesus commanded, you need the Holy Spirit for that. And you need the Holy Spirit if you've decided not only to obey, but to help others obey too. Because that's what the Spirit is about. You only need the Holy Spirit. You only need the Holy Spirit if you have genuinely repented. You only need the Holy Spirit if you truly believe. You only need the Holy Spirit to turn from the way that you were headed to join God's way. Instead, you need the Holy Spirit for that. You desperately need the Holy Spirit. You can only live God's way by the Spirit only. Now, just, just a, a suppose, okay? Suppose you woke up tomorrow. Suppose you woke up tomorrow and you discovered it's not true, okay? It's not true. The Holy Spirit does not live in us. Suppose you woke up. I hate to say it, but suppose you woke up and discovered it's not true. Would anything in your life look much different? Would anything in your life look much different? If it's true that the Holy Spirit of God lives in us, and that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
shouldn't there be a significant difference? Shouldn't there be something? Shouldn't there be some difference between a person who has the Spirit living inside and the person who does not have the Spirit living inside? Shouldn't there be a difference? 2,000 years ago, Jesus told his disciples, it was better for them that he leave them and that the Holy Spirit come. That's what Jesus said. Today, today I think most of us would be happier if Jesus would come physically and not send his Spirit. Have you ever wondered about a caterpillar? This is really a strange one. Have you ever wondered about a caterpillar and the confusion it must feel? When all its life it's been crawling around on a little bit of ground and on a few plants, okay? A patch of dirt and a couple plants. And then one day it wakes up from its nap and it discovers, I can fly. How did this happen? What does it think when it looks at its gorgeous wings? It's a bit crazy. It's a bit crazy, I know. But as believers, we ought to be going, wow, how did this happen? Wow. When the Holy Spirit enters our body, we ought to be stunned at the new creation that God creates in us. With the Spirit of God living in us, we should be stunned over the Spirit-empowered ability to live differently, to live faithfully. It's an astounding truth. It's an astounding truth that the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, lives in me with that same power. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of living in a way that looks just like people who don't have the Spirit of God living in them. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of that. I want to consistently live with an awareness of his strength. Do you want to? I want to consistently live with an awareness of his strength. I want to be different today than I was yesterday. Do you want to? I want to. I want to see the fruits of God's spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I want to see those become manifest in me. Do you? I want to live so that I am truly submitted to the Spirit's leading every day. Do you want that? I do. Christ said it better for us. It's better for us, he said, that the Spirit come. And I want to live like I know that's true. I don't want to keep crawling around when I can fly. <laughs> if you're like me, you want him too. You do. You want him more. You want more of the Holy Spirit's activity in your life, don't you? I know you do. But why? <laughs> so we got to ask ourselves that, don't we? Why? Why do you want more of the Spirit? Is it just so that you can benefit, so that you can show, so that others will see? Kind of like Simon the magician, remember, when he saw what Peter could do by the Spirit of God, he said, wow, I'd like to buy that from you. Why? Because he wanted some more notoriety. He wanted recognition. So he thought, let me buy this from you. 
What's your interest in the Spirit? What's your interest? Why do you want Him? Is it because you want to experience all that God has for you? Is that why? Is it because you love the church and you want to serve the church? That's what the Spirit is about. Do you want more of Him so you can have more attention? Or do you want more of Him so that Christ can get the attention? What do you want? Do you want more of Him so that the church can be built, strengthened, equipped? Do you want more so that people will praise you for your good works? Or do you want more so that God will be praised? What do you want? Do you want to lead or do you want to be led by the Spirit? Which do you want? Do you believe that God has something for you to do? Do you believe? Do you believe that He's placed you here on earth for a purpose? Do you believe that you exist not for your own pleasure? but that others might know and love Jesus and that the church might become fully alive in Him. That's why. Now, today we've just skimmed it. Okay, there's so much more that could be said about the Holy Spirit and His work. But you must agree with me, don't you? I mean, I know I've been a little bit abrupt, maybe a little bit hard, okay? But you must agree that the Holy Spirit is absolutely vital to everything we do and are as individual Christians and as a church. But does this picture from Scripture resemble us at Village Church? Does this picture from Scripture resemble you as a believer in your experience? Does it remind you of Village Church? Or does it remind you of any church in North America or any church in the world? A little bit of spirituality. A little bit of spirituality is not what God has in mind for his church. Jesus give, gave everything so that we could have everything. And he calls us to take up our cross and follow him. And that, that's, a, that's a call to radical faith, taking up your cross. It's a call to love even people who cheated you. It's a call to love even those who spread rumors about you. It's a call to love even those who disagree with you politically, <laughs> practically, fundamentally. It's a call. It's a call to total surrender, an active pursuit of the Spirit, a daily engagement with the Spirit in a lifelong process every day. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, and we all who with unveiled face contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now I have a really bizarre illustration for you. Let's say I buy a rowing machine. Okay? I buy a rowing machine because I need to get in shape. I need to lose some weight. Three months later, I take the machine back to the people that sold it to me because it didn't work. I didn't lose any weight. And when I bring it back, the clerk asks me, what's the problem? Doesn't it work properly? And I say, work properly? It didn't work at all. 
I didn't lose any weight. He said, well, did you row? No, I didn't row. It's a silly example, but it's sort of like you and the Holy Spirit. It is. Freedom and healing usually are not something that's done to you like you're zapped from heaven. Did you hear me? It usually doesn't happen. Sometimes it works that way. Sometimes it is a miraculous, instantaneous, and it's done. God is capable of that. But usually God asks us to play an active role, doesn't he? He asks us to be involved in the journey toward wholeness. And he invites us to participate, not because he needs our help. He can do it alone. He doesn't need our help, but we need to help. (laughs) We need to help. That's why. We need. He wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. He wants us to become strong in him. Living by the Spirit means a habitual, continual, active interaction with the Holy Spirit. You can't just look at that, that rowing machine. You got to get on it. Right? And it's not goodness by effort, okay? It's goodness by grace. God working in you. Now, just for one last illustration. Suppose I, I bake a loaf of bread. I, I like to do that. Suppose I like a, bake a loaf of bread. And you ask me, which is more important? The flour or the leavening, the yeast? Which is more important? You ask me that. And I look at my loaf. And what do I say to you? Anybody? Both. Both are important. You can't have a loaf of bread unless you have both flour and yeast. You've got to have both. It's the same way in our, our lives with God's Spirit. God is real. God is moving. But we've got to respond. We've got to say yes, don't we? Like yeast and flour, both are necessary. But both God's action and our response are necessary. In Philippians, Paul says it this way, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. Now look at that verse really close for a minute. I know you've seen it before. Maybe you, you're on to this. But look at, look at the contradiction there, okay? Paul says, work out your own salvation. Now that sounds like works. That sounds like it's up to you. Then he says, for it is what? God who is at work in you. Yes, it takes both. Flour and yeast. God is at work in you. And yes, there is a work for you to do. The Spirit empowers you to do that work. And yes, you do that work by the Spirit's empowerment. It requires of you, of me, continual engagement, wrestling, growing in how to live the Holy Spirit life today. Not just today. Tomorrow the next day, 10 years, right now, this place, this time, will you say yes to God's Spirit? I'm asking you. There's a little place for you to sign the sheet today, and I'm asking you for a commitment. Will you say yes to the Holy Spirit today? Not tomorrow, not in a week, today. God's work in your life through His Spirit.
cooperating with him. Will, do you, will you believe, like it says, in God the Spirit, helper, advocate, teacher, guide, who renews, gifts, empowers, transforms, and leads me into all truth. Sign that. Keep it forever. And live by the Spirit. And bring honor and glory to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your goodness, your, your ministry in our lives. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. I just want to confess, I have been neglectful. I have been unmindful. I have not allowed you to do the work that you want to do in me. And I pray that you would forgive me, forgive all of us, and renew us today, O oh Lord. Make us new by your Spirit. And then do a, a work that only you can do. We have money, we have programs, we have time and talent, but Lord, we don't want any of that. We want you to do a work here. And we yield to you now to do that work. And we ask it in Jesus' name.